Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. That was powerful. Uh, it makes it really easy, makes it really easy for me to remind you what legacy is all about with our kids and our students, and you think about what they're experiencing as as high school kids, oh my goodness gracious, uh, we do need to be praying for them. And to see those find God and follow him in those years is, is, is a miracle. It's God at work. And so, you know, March 25th, we launch a thousand day campaign. And just as a reminder to you, you know, you've been giving to the building for all these years. We do it sort of annually and we're still doing it now. But on March 25th, that goes away. And we begin a thousand-day campaign, just under three years, roughly three years, um, where we will accomplish three things if we can reach our goal of five million dollars. Our goal would be to add the student or the children's wing out here, the twenty-three thousand square feet. We want to pay the mortgage on this building for those three years, and then we want to add to the principal of this. That's what the five million will accomplish. And uh, March fourth, the third and fourth. Uh, is promise weekend and so that's why the cards are in your bulletin right now because that's where you'll make your promise on the fourth together we'll do that in here and then on March 25th a few weeks later three weeks later we will take the first fruits we'll take the first offering toward that and it will begin a whole new legacy campaign for three years so that's what this is about now we've been preparing our hearts for this for the last six weeks uh, in terms of a series and last week, we really took it up a notch as, as we began our 21 days of prayer. So as we think about the 1,000 days and prepare for the 1,000 days, the 21 days of prayer are the most important days. They are the most important days. So I'm, I long for you to engage in those 21 days of prayer. And I want to talk to you about what that feels like and looks like today, because I think it's the most important segment of the whole effort. So let me start by asking you, what's the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? What's the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? Like, how big is it? Now, I've been asking that question because I've had two weeks to do it now with this talk, and it's not an easy question to answer. You'll ponder that for a while, and you're not even sure what it means to answer it. I'll help you answer it. So how big is it? Uh... I came across a story about a 20-year-old guy who's dating, uh, who, who wants to date this girl. He's known her for a while, but he's finally got up the nerve to ask her out. And so, um, and so he goes to a candy shop, and he's sort of nervous, and he's nervous talking to the guy behind the counter. And the guy says, well, what do you need? And he goes, well, I'm going on my first date with this girl. I really like her. I don't know what's going to happen. And he's nervous. And so he says, uh, I'd like to have, like, maybe three boxes of candy. You know, because if... Um, you know, let's, let's say if she holds my hand, I'll give her the $5 box. You know, because if she gives me a kiss goodnight, I'll give her the $10 box. If she invites me in, I'll give her the $20 box. This guy's really got struggles. He's got issues. But. So what happens is he goes and he picks her up. And when he does, the family's having dinner right about that time. And so they invite him in and they say, why don't you just have dinner with us? Then you can go out on your date. We'd like to get to know you a little bit more. So they're sitting around the table and they're about to have dinner, well, he volunteers to say grace. And I mean, he waxes eloquent in this prayer. 
just over the top. And she's sort of stunned by it. So they chat for a little while. As they head out the door to go on their date, she stops and she looks at him and she goes, I didn't know you could pray like that. And he says to her, I didn't know your father owned a candy store. Oh, what'll make you pray? A great prayer. As we continue to look to Joshua for help in this series, and as we approach this campaign, we come to a point in the book, you know, we kind of moved past it a couple of weeks ago, where there's this huge list of victories. Because, you know, remember, Joshua's leading the children of Israel across the Jordan into the Canaan land, and they got to it's a military conquest. They've got to oust people out. There's all these people groups got to go out. Um, well, something happens before you get to the list of those kings. You get sort of a window into some of the battles. You don't get to see the, every battle with all 31 kings. But there's one significant battle that happens prior to chapter 11 that explodes all this. And it, it's because of a relationship that they have with one of the groups of people, which is the Gibeonites. So the Gibeonites realize that they're in trouble because Israel's going to boot them out, okay, to just destroy them. So the Gibeonites, long story short, we'll look at it maybe another time, but for right now, the Gibeonites realize they're doomed, and so they come up with a very sneaky way to enter a treaty, sort of a treaty with Israel to be protected from them. And so you read about how this goes down, and it's very shady. It's almost a corporate picture of what happens with Rahab. Sort of shady deal goes down, but God emerges victor and does a great thing. So how Rahab as an individual, maybe a family, gets saved. The Gibeonites are a picture of an entire group that gets saved over a shady deal. Israel enters it with them, and now they've got to protect them. So when the other Amorite people hear about Gibeon, they go, we got to go take those people out when they hear about that treaty. So the Gibeonites get scared, and they say to Israel, hey, because we have this treaty, you need to come protect us. And Joshua goes, I don't know what to do. Well, we're supposed to protect them, and God says, I want you to protect them. And there's this reminder in chapter 9 where, uh, where, where I'll tell you why you got into this mess in the first place, Joshua, because you didn't seek counsel from the Lord. This is, this is Joshua 9, verse 14. Well, now they're in another pickle, and they've got to they got to go now fight five Amorite kings because five kings decide to come against the Gibeonites. And God tells Joshua, I want you to protect them. So that's where our story begins today. Our story begins there. So let's look at this. We need to move. The Lord says to Joshua, don't fear the five kings. I've given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand among you. Important word in the text. One of those repeated words. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. That was base camp, remember, when they crossed over Jordan. That's where base camp was. So they march all night long to this location. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel. So all of these five kings panicked. And, and, and struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran. And struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. So you get what's going on. You get this battle's happened. As they fled before Israel, they panic. While they're going down the ascent, 
the Lord threw them down large stones from heaven on them. Okay? And they died. And in fact, listen to this. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel were killed with the sword. So God's in this battle. And let's see. At that time, and we don't know exactly, like, is it corresponding? Is it at that moment? Was it prior to them marching? We don't know. We're not given that. Joshua spoke to the Lord. Now, this is what he should have done in chapter 9. Remember, he should have sought God's counsel there, but he didn't. But he's not going to let that pass up this time. He speaks to the Lord. In the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, that day when he's battling these five Amorite kings, he says in the sight of Israel, Son, this is his prayer, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. That's his prayer. And it's sort of put in this is sort of a poetic poem type thing. So I just want you to see what's happening. God has already acted to, to panic everyone. And he has also uh, brought down these hailstones. And Joshua, in the middle of this, prays this prayer. It's sort of in the form of a poem. And what we learn about it in the next verse is the sun stood still and the moon stopped. How long? Until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. That's the sun stood still. So here's the stop and the stand still. Stand is a key word in the text. So that's what's happening here. So there's this cosmic pause in the battle. Uh, because you, Joshua is now looking out over the horizon at these five kings, and he goes, we, it's going to take more than a day. We need more daylight, is essentially what he's saying. So these the two luminaries halt mid-course you know, mid in order for Joshua to get this war done. What you didn't want to do is fight at night. The terrain is horrible. They don't have any sort of the technical skills or technology to, uh, to, you know, to fight like that. So mo- most of the time you didn't battle at night. Now, you say, what's the whole point of this story? Well, verse 13b and 14 help us sum it up. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? Now, that was just a collection of poems. So somebody wrote this down, the sort of the poem. That's probably why it's written like a poem here. It's because it was sort of the reliability of this event. It's recorded in the book of poems that existed in Israel day that somebody put together. Here's the second thing. The sun stopped in the midst of heaven. He's explaining what happened that day. The sun stopped. There's our standstill again. Stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set how long? For about a whole day. So we learn that Joshua gets about an extra 24 hours. So we got one 48-hour day. And then notice what he says. There has been no day like it before or since. When the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Now, you say, what does this really mean? And at the end of the day, this is the most important piece of this. What's extraordinary in this sort of hyperbolic language is the poem that describes the sun standing still, which from the standpoint of just observation, it appears as though that's how it's viewed. Well, what's extraordinary to the writer is not that the sun stood still that day. It's this, that the Lord 
listened to the voice of a man. That is the key. He listened to the voice of a man. That's what stuns the writer. So what I want you to notice in here, there's two things we're going to look at that I hope will will change our lives forever because no part of Joshua has impacted me more than this, than this story. So I want us to see something about Joshua and then I want us to see something about God that I'm praying, that I'm praying will change the way we pray. Now, Joshua. So even the text acknowledges this day is unprecedented. There's nothing like it. It's one of the biggest prayers ever asked. It's a stunning request. But if you think of it in context, you think if you're a person on a mission, it's actually very natural to pray a prayer like that. If you're engaged in some sort of battle like what Joshua was facing, you might need, it might feel very natural to pray a prayer like that. Like if you've led an army for 25 miles at night, you've traveled and that's a marathon. You've led them all at night and then you get to the place and it's still sort of morning. You can see the sun and the moon. And you're looking out over the horizon at five armies. You're like, man, we've been doing some battling around here. We've, we've had some good battles, but I haven't faced five kings in their armies for once. Then you might, you might think like this. And by the way, this is something you want to read. You don't want to have to say. We tried that once. My wife, if you, if you weren't here on this stage leading worship, my wife once said, if you're here this morning, it doesn't matter what's, what your concern is. You might have a, a big ask or a little ask. And I'm sitting right there going, no, God. No, God. And so everybody's looking around, going, I don't know where, where I got a big one. I don't know how big it is. Well, let's just make this clear. This is one of the boldest asks you're going to see in the Scripture. And Joshua is basically saying, I need more daylight. And Joshua doesn't even understand the complications that go into a prayer like that. Uh, He has no idea about how that's going to impact physics and reality. He's just praying the prayer he needs because he's on a mission and he's exhausted from a 25-mile march at night and now he's got to fight five kings. This is the kind of prayer you pray. This is the kind of prayer you pray. You don't pray, Lord, I hope it doesn't rain so we don't slip around on the... You pray big in this moment. All right? Uh, I need the earth... To stop spinning is what he's praying. He doesn't even understand scientifically that that's what he's asking for. Now, someone said this about prayer. Prayer is a defiant act of resistance and rebellion against the way things currently are. Most of the time when you pray, it requires something outside of space and time. As we're going to see. It just requires God to act It's always miraculous when we pray like that. 
Now, when I say, uh, what's your biggest prayer? What's the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? I'll tell you the second question you have to ask in order to get to that one. You have to say, what, what's the biggest thing I've, asked, I've ever asked God to do with me? That's the question you have to ask in order to be able to answer the question, what's the biggest prayer I've ever prayed? I'll tell you when it is. It's when you've decided to do something for God and you needed him to do it. That is when you ask it. That's the time you ask for something like the earth to stop spinning. When God, we're, we're, about, to, we're about to do something you've asked us to do. And we can't do it without you. So you have to come through. So the beauty of all the words stopped in this text is that essentially the reason God stops everything is so that Joshua can keep moving. That's why it's so powerful. Because God stops everything so Joshua can stay on mission. If you're on a mission, you'll pray a prayer like that. And God will hear a prayer like that. Now, one commentator said this, and I love it. He said, such prayers and answers are not merely nice things God does. Hey, God, if you're looking for something nice to do today, It's not the kind of thing God's doing. This is the kind of prayer he says, they are weapons. These answers to prayer are weapons in a cosmic battle that Joshua's engaged in. If you're engaged in something for him, on mission on something for him, this is not just something God does to be nice. It's a way that he intervenes in order for you to be able to keep moving on the mission. There's a difference. So prayer then becomes something that I'm talking to God about us doing together. That's what prayer, that's a whole dynamic. This, this, this whole dimension of prayer could be missing from your life. Because you don't see yourself on mission. So you're not asking him big things to get done within his kingdom and through you. So it presupposes sort of a personal, experiential, interactive relationship with God. That's kind of what the vision is of Hillside, about eternal living now. You know, where everyone has an authentic relationship with Christ that leads to eternal living now. What does that mean? Well, God's will and way will be carried out in my life wherever I'm at. Everywhere, in my life, in my community, and in the world. And for God's will and ways to be carried out means I'm on mission to do what he wants me to do on any given day. So you're not, we're not waiting till heaven to see eternity. We're already caught up in it in, the, in Christ. We're already acting with him now. within the surrounding movements of his eternal purposes, they're already going on around us. And so when we, when we obey, when we sacrifice, when we engage in that mission, we become co-actors with them. 
co-acting with God. And so a lack of prayers like this would say, very convicting to me, would reveal a, a big disconnect between me and God. In a praying life, Paul Miller writes, if you're not praying, your relationship with your heavenly father's dysfunctional. You talk as if you have an intimate relationship with him, he writes. Theoretically, it's close. Practically, it's distant. Now, it's very interesting. There's another thing. You may not be praying because you don't, you don't, you don't have a mission. But you may very well have a mission and you're still not praying about it. You may very well see that you could be doing something God wants you to do, but you're not asking him to do it with you. And so you don't pray. You just do what you think he wants you to do. But you never ask him about it. Like Joshua could have stood over that horizon and said, Lord, you know, I'm just, you told me to do this. I can see you're involved in it. But I'm still going to do it my way. I'm still going to do what I think you want me to do, but I'm going to do it by myself and I'm not even going to ask you about it. We don't even pray about that. Sometimes that's the the issue. And I just was very convicted about that. So let's sort of bring this home and ask, what would it be looking like? So let's say you prayed something like this in light of the campaign. God, the leaders of the church that I'm invested in, that I attend and that I'm a part of, believe that this campaign is significant to our mission and vision over the next decade. They're looking out farther than I have. So here's a prayer. What do you want me to do? Now that's a dangerous prayer. Because you may believe that that's something we ought to do. You may believe you ought to do something too. But you're not going to ask him about it because you want to do what you want to do in it, but not what he wants you to do. Do you see what I'm talking about? There's a slight nuance there. Well, Lord, I, I see this is, you know, Joshua looking out over there. Lord, I see what's going on here. I'll handle it from here. Or, I mean, you could pray, Lord, this is significant to our future. What do you want me to do? And then you could also say, and, and here's what I'll need from you to do that. That's, that's a selfless prayer. You want me to do that, God? then I'm going to need you to do X, Y, or Z. So, of course, you might not ask. You might just do what you want. And then you'd be acting alone, even in something God wants you to do. But you could be praying things like, Lord, for this 1,000-day campaign, I need you to keep my crappy car running. Right? You could be, hey, Lord. I got this car's gonna die, and I I need it to be running for at least a thousand days so I can focus on something else. Because God can do that. Hey, you may be you may have to ask God to help your spouse be a part of this campaign because you you see it differently. I had a couple come up to me. We're, we're we see this campaign different. Well, that's a great prayer over twenty one days. God help us come. To together on this. 
You know, or, or instead of praying like that, you could pray this. God, quiet my insecurity and fears for a thousand days. Because as I look at this, I realize that the reason I never am generous is because I'm scared of everything. That's a big prayer. Let me ask you, what do you think is harder to do? What's easier to pray? What's easier to pray? God, stop the sun. Make, stop the sun from going down today. Give me an extra 24 hours or God. Help me become more generous. Which one would you pray first? I'll be praying all day. Son, that's easy. That's easy to pray unless you're... St- <laughs> Let me tell you why you would pray. That's because you're not standing on a battle looking at five kings. If you're looking at five kings, you ask for more daylight. But what's harder for God to do? What do you think is more complicated for God to... Stop the earth from spinning for 24 days or to try to fix something and you change you? What if God, what if you prayed this God, you know, God, there's some things I want. When I look over the next three years, there's some things I want. And um, uh, Lord, do you think you could subside those desires for a thousand days so I could focus on something else? That's a, that's a big prayer. In Acts chapter 4, this is just reading this this morning. In Acts chapter 4, Peter heals a lame man in chapter 3, and he freaks everybody out in the city, and the, the, the authorities grab him and throw him and John, and they bring him in, and they question him, and they send him away saying, listen, don't you dare talk about Jesus anymore. Because if you do, you're going to end up right back here, and you're going to get whooped. We're going to beat you for it. And so they run off to the community, and when they get together with the community, there's this great, it's powerful, you, you, you ought to read it. I, and they, they pray together. What do you think they pray? What do you think we would pray if two of our members came in here after getting beaten up for sharing Christ and they came in here? What would be the prayer we'd be praying? Well, they start out with the prayer saying, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth. That sounds good. We'd all pray that. Lord, we know you're in charge of everything. So, is there any chance you could keep us from from taking a beating? That's the prayer. Lord, keep us safe. That is not what they pray. Lord, help the authorities. Ease off. That's not what they pray. Here's what they pray. And now, Lord of everything, of heaven and earth, you could stop it all. You could keep the authorities from doing everything. Here's what they pray. The sovereign one. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and crush them? No. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Oh, my gosh. Does that not just, you just not want to pass out? No, God, don't stop anything. Just give me more boldness. What do you think would be harder for God to do? Keep the authorities sort of squelched and shut down and and nicer? Or make you more bold? William Carey said this. 
expect great things from God. Attempt great things for him. There's a part of me that wants to switch it. I know what he means. The way we read it, we'd be more... If you attempt great things from God, you'll expect great things from God. If you're not attempting great things from God, you're not even asking big things. Just a powerful statement. Now, that's what it says about Joshua. Joshua's on a mission, and there's nothing too big to ask when you're on a mission. And it's not about you. It's about the mission. So what does it say about God? Well, this is what it says about God. And that's the main thing in the, in the text. The main thing in the text is the Lord heeds his voice. Your prayers work. They can actually move God to act. Of course, he ultimately decides how a prayer gets answered. And we wouldn't want that any other way. But within God's sovereignty, with his purpose and his identity and his nature never changing, there is something about the way the Bible presents God and Joshua here is given us an illustration of it, that there is something within the divine personality that there's a flexibility built into it, that he'll intervene and, and do something he wasn't going to do because of the predicament you're in and the mission you're trying to accomplish. He's got a flexibility with that. So you might look at this event that we just uncovered and we say, okay, God, we, see all, we saw two things that you did without anyone asking. How many blessings do you think you get a day and you didn't even ask for it? How many blessings do you think you get? God's a giver. He's just constantly giving gifts to good and evil people. But it wasn't going to stop the earth from spinning for 24 hours until Joshua asked it. Now you think about that for a second. I need more daylight, Lord. That wasn't going to happen unless Joshua asked for it. And here the Lord all of a sudden adds to the list of things he's going to do because Joshua asks for it. Which means... God sort of stands on the edge of his seat. And if you're on mission for him, if you're doing something with him and for him, and he's excited that you've taken initiative, that you're creative, that you are, that you're serious, he's like, you have an idea? I'm in. What do you got? And he's willing to, he's willing to flex all of his sovereignty and his will and everything and go, I'm in, Joshua. That's a good idea. Let's do that. I've never done that before. I'll do it. Listen, do you believe there's some things you don't get because you didn't ask? I don't know all that they all are, and I'm not, you know, you know how I am about this subject, but I'm just saying. It's very possible in the light of this text that we never, ever hear about the earth stop spinning because no one ever asked for it. And I... I you know, C.S. Lewis, I want to read something to you because it's just very meaningful to me as it relates to prayer. Here's what he says. I need you to follow it because you just, like typical with C.S. Lewis, you need to think. Here's what he says. Prayers are not always granted. 
This is, <laughs> this is not because prayer is a weaker kind of causality, but because it's a stronger kind. So what do you mean by that? When it works at all, it works unlimited by space and time. In other words, when God answers a prayer, he's got a, he's got a halt physics and all reality and, and take in everything. Remember, it's a rebellious and resistant act against the way things currently are. It's, it's miracle working. When you ask a prayer, you have no idea of the implications of that prayer. Joshua didn't know what gravity was going to do. He didn't know any of that stuff. He just prayed the prayer. He left all of that to God. That's why God retains discretionary power of granting or refusing it. Except on that condition, prayer would destroy us. Thank God he's the one who knows how to stop the earth from spinning and whether or not he ought to do that today. Otherwise, we destroy ourselves with some of the prayers we ask. It's a great picture. Then he says, but it's not unreasonable for a headmaster to say, Such and such things you may do according to fixed rules of this school. But such and such other things are too dangerous to be left to general rules. If you want to do them, you must come and make a request and talk over the whole matter with me in my study. And then we'll see. Let Let me bring that into a little bit more of a common occurrence. Let's say you're the father of a sophomore. And you've dictated that the rule in your house is your home by 11 on the weekends. And that's the rule. I can tell you something a father's never going to do. He's never going to come up to you on Thursday and just say, hey, I've decided to make it that 11 o'clock thing one. That's not, a father's never going to just offer that. Right? You know what you're going to have to do? You know what you do with your dad? You pull him aside and you say, dad, it's a big weekend. Special event going on. I, I need a little extra time. This is where I'll be. This is what I'll be doing. And you know what dads usually do? You know what dads usually do? They go, okay. But it took a special request. Dad's not offering it. But a, but a conversation in his study will get it for you. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying about prayer. Isn't that cool? I know how God works. I know he throws hailstones. And I know he can bring an entire army to panic. But there's something else I want to talk to him about. I know what he does, but I want to talk to him about something. And then you got God up there going, let's do it. Let's do that. That's a great picture of who God is. How great do you have to be to be flexible and still get all of your purposes achieved? That's God. I just love the thought of God, of you wanting something bad in, in, as a mission, saying, God, I want, I want that to happen. And then praying and letting him go, that's exciting, let's do that. Because that's how God wants to be with you. Prayer is how you do things with God. So, 21 days of prayer. Let me say something about it and I'll be done. Uh, it's a chance to focus You've maybe never done anything for 21 days as it relates to prayer. You've never said, I'm going to concentrate on one thing every night at 7 p.m. And so whether or not I'm able to get on Facebook every night, you know, I can't always do that. But at 7 p.m., I know the family of Hillside's praying for it. 
I want in on that. So it's a chance to focus. Because who knows what or who God will move if you consider the fact that he might not if we don't ask. He might not if we don't ask. That's why prayer is so transforming because because it engages me with God and we are doing something together. This is a whole dimension of prayer that means you're on point and you're working with him on something. So what if you said something like this, Lord? What do you want me to do for this campaign? Because the last thing I want to do is anything without you. Now, let me just say something to you. That's campaign talk. You might be sitting here today and you, you've never given your life to Christ. You didn't know God wanted to partner with you in his kingdom and in his mission. You didn't even know that. And you're here today and say, how do you get what they have? How do you, all of a sudden, you're just walking around in a high school hallway and all of a sudden you want to know who God is and, and, he, and, and you're being drawn to him but you don't even know what that's like. And you're wondering about him. Psalm 74, it's a great little psalm, verses 12 through 17. Talk about him stopping the universe. And I love it in light of this text because he says, the day and the night belong to you. I can do anything with the day and anything with the night I want to. And in the context of salvation where he says, I can move the universe to save you, and I will. And he has. He came here to a cross. So one other time when you know for a fact that the sun stopped shining. The sun was affected. Christ was hanging on a cross for you. And God, again, acted in a cosmic way on your behalf. And maybe, maybe the bold prayer for you is, Lord Jesus, come into my life. As complicated as that will make my world, I'm willing for you to figure out how to handle that. But today I'm giving my life to you. That might be you. I'm going to tell you something. If that's your heart, God will move heaven and earth to get to you. And he has. Already has. Would you bow your heads? Father, today, there is no question we are all just devastated before you. So overwhelmed by the fact that you want to Work with us in accomplishing your mission. That you, that you care about what we're doing for you. And you don't want to be left out of the things that even we want to do for you. And so we confess, Lord, we have been acting way too independently. And we need to engage you in prayer and accomplish what you want in and through us with you. In 
or anyone in this room, Lord, who doesn't know you right now in their seat, they could be overwhelmed by the fact that you would move heaven and earth for them. That you would want them that much. That you would give your son on a cross and create all kinds of cosmic disturbances in an effort to redeem our sinful hearts. And then completely blast the laws of physics and rise from the dead. We serve an amazing God. We want to walk closer to you than we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.